You're listening to WCBN FM and Arbor. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I'm back from New York City and I can honestly say Friday was one of the worst days of my life. And I give a brain damage award out to some moron in Ohio that decided to race a freight train in his SUV. Uh, he's no longer with us. And I don't know whether his wife died with him or one of his hillbilly friends, but, uh, boy, he ruined the lives of about 150, 200 people who were on their way to Chicago. We were stuck between Sandusky and Toledo for about five and a half hours. And by the way, the news will report this as a freight, you know, a train accident. This was a car accident. Yeah. And, of course, it's uh, you always need to be uh, aware of these weird euphemisms that they use in the news. Uh, we've seen this in the last couple of days here in, in uh, Missouri with the supporters of the police officer versus the protesters <laughs> of the... Uh, uh, of the supporters of Michael Brown, and how ironic that that name would reappear, because you'll recall uh, Michael Brown was George Bush's uh, FEMA director back in uh, Hurricane Katrina. Hell of a job, Brownie. So it's well, been a there's Brown versus the Board of Education. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, <clears throat> largely unresolved issues. And what? The groove tubes, uh, brown uh, <laughs> 67 or whatever it was, courtesy of, uh, <clears throat> well, we won't go there. <laughs> this is a family show, uh, usually. Uh, but, yeah, this this whole uh, situation in, in Missouri, uh, Florence, Missouri, you know, with the revelations that the uh, the police are fortified with Shall we say the, uh, the 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 surplus military equipment from the war on terror? Very well, scary stuff. Well, and this is not a brand new development. No. This is something that's been going on for a couple of years, and we've actually talked about it on the show before. It's come up in the mainstream media: the militarization of local police forces, and in in a way, it's the uh, the Pentagon sort of unloading surplus goods, which were ordered for. W's misadventures in the Middle East, which, by the way, leave their own terrifying ripples of chaos uh, everywhere you turn. Uh, but this militarization of the police is its going to lead to more uh, confrontational situations. Yeah, and it's interesting because throughout a lot of the summer, I've been reading up, of course, on the demise of Richard Nixon and Watergate. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was mentioning the, uh, the 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 book that came out recently called "The Burglary," which was about the uh, a break in at an FBI uh, field office in Media, ironically called Media, Pennsylvania. But of course, it revealed that J. Edgar Hoover uh, had developed secret plans for quite some time following the Cold War of rounding up subversives. Uh, Hoover had plans to basically arrest anywhere between 200 and 300,000 people. Uh, subversives, in his mind, were 
university professors, people that uh, held uh, liberal political beliefs, believed in civil liberties, or were critical of the FBI uh, publicly, for instance. And uh, this, this sort of soft fascist police state that uh, America's been sort of merrily, merrily going along with, the silent majority says nothing. And, of course, we vote these politicians in. The, the militarization of the police forces here in the United States is a direct result of the so-called war on terror. And uh, the terror, of course, in the Middle East right now is, is, is just mind-boggling. It, it goes, you know, who, who would have thought that Afghanistan would be one of, the, one, one of the more peaceful places at the moment? But we're talking Libya, Syria, Iraq, well, portions of Iraq. We've had confrontations with ISIS in Lebanon. Uh, of course, all of the problems in, uh, with Boko Haram in Africa. And it's just mind-boggling to consider, you know, the role that the United States played in creating this instability. Uh, we overthrew Saddam Hussein. We now are contemplating an alliance with Assad to deal with this brutality of ISIS. John McCain won't know where to put his space helmet. He's still looking for it. And I don't know whether well, it's in <laughs> Lebanon or still in South Vietnam. It but fell uh, off there somewhere. But uh, yeah, you mentioned this, you know, interconnected web of chaos that uh, extends uh, across the vistas uh, before us. Um, it's no wonder that Vladimir Putin feels uh, empowered to do what they're doing in the Ukraine, this little mercy mission of the sure. goods and supplies mm -hmm. they're sending in to the uh, provincial uh, independence group there in uh, the Ukraine. Uh, it's very easy for the uh, media here in America to depict this as, you know, he's restarting the Cold War, but he's just following America's lead. We uh, send drones wherever, we bomb wherever, we do whatever. And uh, it's never really, you know, raised much of an issue in the United <laughs> Nations or on any international forums. So um, I'm not saying I agree or support or approve what Putin's doing, but why wouldn't he take advantage of the cover that America gives him, uh, morally speaking? And, of course, you know, the events here in, in, uh, in New York City recently with a a chokehold uh, incident that's still under investigation in Staten Island, and of course uh, the Michael Brown situation in in uh, Florence, uh, Missouri. It's part of this whole uh, just kind of slow creeping concept that we have here in the United States about the uh, technology of political control, and of course the prison industrial complex. I wanted to mention an article that I read that I was very impressed with when I read it back in December of 1998 by Eric Schlosser. I mention him because he's got a new book out uh, that I have not yet read, but it is about all of the near misses, close calls, and actual um, releases of nuclear bombs that, uh, and accidents that occurred during the Cold War. I've heard him interviewed, and some of the stuff is uh, hair-raising, to say the least. But in this article in the Atlantic Monthly, 
he discusses uh, the prison industrial complex, that this was the number one creator of jobs, uh, basically in the 1980s and 1990s. We had the war on drugs, <laughs> the war on crime. Architects of this, of course, were Nixon and Reagan. Uh, and he writes, California now has the biggest prison system in the Western industrialized world, a system 40% bigger than the Federal Bureau of Prisons. The state holds more inmates in its jails than the prisons of France, Great Britain, Germany, Japan, Singapore, and the Netherlands combined. He then goes into the details of the increased incarceration of American citizens over the Latin. And this was written in 1998, by the way. This was written in December of 1998. Things have worsened since then. They've worsened, and it, it's just uh, astonishing. It says, the United States now imprisons more than any country in the world, perhaps half a million more than communist China. Um, and then, of course, he goes into the details of, of how many nonviolent offenders are in prison. And, of course, nonviolence is somewhat peripherally uh, involved in both these incidents in Staten Island and Missouri. Uh, we have two, shall we say, large African-American men. One is uh, harassed by the police for selling loose cigarettes. I mean, come on, don't the police have something better to do than worry about something like that? That's ridiculous. Uh, the, of course, some of the facts involving Michael Brown in, uh, in um, uh, Missouri, you know, we still don't know all the facts. Of course, the police uh, released a video claiming that he was involved in a strong armory, a strong armed robbery where he stole some cigars. That still remains to be proven. Uh, they're apparently. Uh, is a witness that's lawyered up. Uh, we certainly don't have any indictments, and we certainly don't have any due process of law here. But it's th this incident, even if it occurred, would explain why there may have been a confrontation. And obviously, we probably have a relatively inexperienced police officer panicking, uh, hence the six shots. Uh, we need to kind of take a, a step back. You know, today is the funeral. Uh, we need some peace. <laughs> we, we need to stop the, uh, the protesting at the moment on this. It's and, pretty quiet in Ferguson today by all uh, yeah. accounts. So October is being given as a sort of a timeline by which uh, official hearings will begin. And it's interesting to note that the you know the federal government is uh, participating in the actual investigation of the incident, and to Barack Obama's credit, uh, and he sometimes uh, <laughs> doesn't deserve any, but in this case, I think that it is uh, wise of him to reevaluate the use of this uh, the military equipment at these protests, quote unquote protests. Well, that's part of the First Amendment. Uh, and, of course, we know from the 1960s and the 1970s involving Hoover and Nixon that the uh, FBI and uh, even some of Nixon's henchmen would often become agent provocateurs at these protests. That the so-called violence that, the, that Hoover and Nixon were trying to uh, emphasize was actually being perpetrated by right-wing thugs 
Nixon, in fact, amazingly, and I, I should have brought these this information in, actually gave a, a sort of a sinecure to a construction worker uh, in New York City that beat up some Vietnam War protesters. He did so after he was re-inaugurated. Yeah, there's some open talk about that with... The guy's uh, the name was Brennan. ...in the tapes. Yeah, it's just amazing stuff. Well, just speaking of amazing, uh, <laughs> the uh, this fact just sort of uh, blew uh, across my fingertips today as I was cleaning up some papers in my office at home. Uh, August 25th, 1967... J. Edgar Hoover uh, begins the COINTELPRO program, which was precisely uh, dedicated to just that, uh, surveillance, uh, monitoring, and uh, behind-the-scenes manipulation of uh, largely the Black Panther movement, but any sort of uh, organization uh, focused on uh, the wrongdoing of either American foreign policy or FBI yeah, and he had even had open discussions uh, dating back to the Eisenhower years with the, pretty much the entire cabinet being present about his plan to round up subversives. Uh, this, uh, this subversive concept, by the way, uh, reared its ugly head in the, uh, some of the internal memos of Oliver North <laughs> during the 1980s. Uh, they, of course, were concerned about uh, Americans protesting Ronald Reagan's policies in Central America. CISPIS yeah. was... Here in town, uh, cars were photographed. Honest. License plate numbers yeah. were photographed. Uh, of course, Oliver North also actually talked in some of his memos about uh, fine-tuning FEMA to become an, uh, an organization that could provide in an emergency scenario, uh, such as his paranoid fantasy of uh, a Nicaraguan Contra invasion of America, uh, that FEMA should be an organization that would help round so-called subversives up. And incidentally, when Schlosser wrote the article in December of 1998, uh, at the time the United States had 1.8 million people behind bars, uh, 1.1 million in state custody, and 600,000 in local jails, uh, and then obviously the remainder would have been uh, um, some federal prisons, but needless to say, in uh, <clears throat> April of uh, 2003, the New York Times reported that two million inmates and counting, uh, this uh, it was a, uh, you know, on their editorial page, um, pointing out that an estimated 12% of African-American males between 20 and 30 are behind bars more than seven times the rate for white men. Uh, our overflowing jails and prisons have come at a high price. This soaring incarceration rate is not tied to violent crime, which is lower, this is uh, them writing in 2003, than it was in 1974, and is out of line with imprisonment practices worldwide. The United States has about 700 inmates per 100,000 residents, compared to fewer uh, than 100 for 100,000 residents in Germany, Italy, and Denmark. So even the New York Times was, uh, 15 years later, sort of reinforcing some of the original uh, um, research that Eric Schlosser had developed in the late 90s uh, regarding the uh, amount of money and 
almost wasted resources of the number of people that were incarcerated for nonviolent crimes. Well, and the numbers don't lie. I mean, uh, you can do any research that you want into application of the death penalty in the country and the states where it's legal. The rate at which it's applied towards black inmates is uh, exponentially higher than white inmates, uh, especially if victims are white. Uh, even looking at this Ferguson, Missouri thing, uh, New York Times is reporting that the rates of warrants for arrest in the Ferguson, Missouri area far outstrip the bulk of uh, the rest of the greater St. Louis area. Uh, and that's why there's a, a problem uh, with this uh, prosecuting attorney, uh, McCulloch, um, who uh, will have to re you know wait to be seen if he's going to be asked to step down from this. Uh, but I think that would go uh, some way towards uh, assuring people in the community that... Uh, there might be a more even-handed look at the facts. Yeah, and, and of course, this you know these problems that we're having here in the United States with uh, <clears throat> questionable police uh, tactics, um, and, you know, I think there needs to be some, some wholesale re-examinations even of our policies here in America regarding what the police do and what they don't do, uh, certainly uh, dealing with major crimes as part of their job description, but arming themselves with uh, paramilitary uh, equipment to deal with people that are pretty much uh, uh, exercising their First Amendment rights to gather and assemble. Right. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, there's some interesting uh, ways this country still isn't... Uh <clears throat> come to terms with its gun problem and you know it, the, the slaughter of a number of children uh, a week before Christmas uh, didn't really do anything to change uh, the country's attitude in general or certainly the laws regarding uh, access to guns um, what do you suppose the uh, net result on gun sales is going to be from this chaos in Ferguson um, you know gun sales go up everybody gets more paranoid everybody gets more nervous everybody wants to arm up uh, Obama has sort of distanced himself from a, a kind of an offhand comment he made as a candidate about those Americans who cling to uh, guns in the Bible. Uh, he sort of shied away from that comment, but I think, let's face it, that's a, a serious problem. There are lots of people who see the gun as the answer to, uh, well, I don't like those people. I don't like those people, whoever those people are, around in my neighborhood. Uh, all these stand-your-ground laws... Uh, the victims tend to be people of color, and the shooters always fall back on, I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared. Sure. Uh, the guy who shot the kids in the van at the gas station because the music was too loud. Uh, white guy shoots a black kid, gets off scot-free, stand your ground law. A uh, young woman in Detroit is shot as she tries to uh, ring a doorbell on a porch, uh, make a phone call for some auto problems. Shot because I was scared. Although he uh, was convicted. Yeah, he was convicted, but the <laughs> the fact that it happened so readily, yeah. and so, I mean, mm -hmm. that's why this became a big thing. Uh, of course, also the role that Twitter has had to play in it uh, has been very interesting, too. Uh, so, uh, according to uh, the Times, again, the uh, uh, black youths who tweet are... Um, there's an exponentially a higher number of them than white teens who tweet. So this became a major event largely because of on-the-ground reporting 
uh, people who were responding to the uh, immediacy of the event. This might not have become the major story that it became nationwide because, as I've just sort of laid out, this happens all too often uh, to be like, oh, again, here it is again. Uh, but this became a big deal largely because of this, uh, you could call it the democratization of access to media, making it a story by not letting it go away. And, of course, you know, getting back to Jagger Hoover and the famous meeting he had with Eisenhower uh, in the cabinet, you know, where he advocated pretty much the FBI would participate in burglaries, uh, mail openings, um, uh, infiltration, whatever that meant. Of course, we now know what that meant. Um, of course, uh, Hoover kept the Communist Party alive. At one point, I think they estimated that two-thirds of its members were... Undercover feds. Actually, FBI <laughs> agents <laughs> who had let their hair down. Uh, you know, and, and Eisenhower, this was all done in the name of national security. Well, when you have the police, quote-unquote, the law enforcement, the, head, the chief of the federal law enforcement agency advocating criminal activity to justify, uh, uh, you know, all this surveillance... You can see why we, we've had a historic problem and why we've been somewhat oblivious to the repercussions of all of this violence. Uh, and, of course, this violence <clears throat> in, in the Middle East is, I, I mean, it's, it's uh, staggering to, uh, to realize what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Of course, we have a absolutely heinous beheading on, uh, on video uh, by people that are basically barbarians. They're not even, you know, to, to even claim that that's got something to do with religion. Is, or a serious uh, capability to do anything like establish a caliphate. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they've been watching the Glenn Beck show and going, oh, that's what Americans are afraid of. That's what we'll say we're doing. Right, and then, of course, the... the way that's logistically even close to feasible. They quickly promote the idea that they're going to come to our shores uh, in, in the form of terrorist attacks. Um, th their capability, ISIS's capability, by the way, is minimal. And I suspect that there may be a kind of an interesting reforming of some alliances in the Middle East. That'll be interesting to see if that actually manifests itself. But some of this... You know, uh, people getting blown up in a mosque just two days ago. I think 61 people. 60 people in a Sunni mosque. Uh, and this is, you know, is it Shias who uh, perpetrated this? Uh, possibly. Also, it could be this sort of shadow group. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just amazing stuff. Um, and it's not going away. <laughs> well, George W. Bush boldly proclaimed as a sort of an ex post facto uh, legitimizer for his decision to go to war in Iraq because Saddam must pay for the crimes that we allowed him to do, blah, 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 blah. Uh, all this falls on him. Yeah. I mean, this chaos continues to ripple out. And now it's, you know, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, Chairman uh, General Dempsey is saying that well, there's really no border anymore between uh, Syria and Iraq. And that's largely true. But that yeah. was erased by the war itself, the refugee crisis that that initiated. Uh, w so blithely uh, op opined that we will remake the Middle East. Well, 
We sure have. Uh, I guess we remade it in his image, shattered, broken, and impossible. Yeah, ungovernable. And it's interesting that, you know, overthrowing both Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein that the United States participated in uh, has led to massive chaos in both places, uh, this this new development, with ISIS taking over this uh, Syrian base, quote-unquote, in the east. Uh, well, let them... For, form on the base <laughs> they'll be easy easier to it'll be easier to use airstrikes the question at the end of the day is how do you develop on the ground uh strength to deal with these problems joseph stalin uh, is not around anymore <laughs> well uh but he would have been good at <laughs> organizing a uh Indeed. Massive ground force using his own br brutal methods. Well, here's the problem. There's really nothing the West can do on the ground about this. And this is, uh, I'm going to quote from an article by Richard McGregor in uh, the Financial Times Weekend Edition. Uh, he quotes uh, Harvard professor Stephen Walt, professor of, uh, of international affairs, uh, who says that uh, air power alone is not going to defeat ISIS or solve the strategic problem, uh, as ultimately more ground troops would be needed. However, quote, the U.S. cannot provide these forces and governance because a large U.S. presence merely generates local resistance and aids ISIS's message. And they can always wait us out in the absence of effective local institutions, close quote. Well, the article ends with the somewhat frightening prospect that in the weeks to come, the U.S. is also likely to scale up its efforts to arm and train Kurdish forces, as will allies including Britain, France, and Germany. Uh, the article ends with this. Uh, the impact of those programs should begin to be felt in the next few months as the effects filter down to the frontline Peshmerga fighters. So the future of the potential for stability in the Middle East apparently is being placed on the soldiers of frontline Peshmerga fighters for an as-of-yet undeclared Kurdish state. Right. Good luck. Sounds like a lot of Henry Kissinger in there. My Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's almost laughable uh, listening to the experts continue to opine about what's you know Obama should be doing when it's the neoconservatives that pretty much have created a lot of these problems. And, of course, Obama is not going to put boots on the ground at this point. He just simply cannot renege on that promise. But I'm sure it's being debated. It's being debated as a, quote, policy option, but I, I, I just can't see it happening. I think the United States is going to be hoping that somebody can come in and put boots on the ground, but I don't know who they're, where they're coming from, because most of them are tied up fighting in other uh, spots in the Middle East. Defending territory... Um, you know, where's Saddam Hussein what, when we need him? <laughs> we smoked him out of his hole. We smoked him out of his hole. Well, and the old ISIS, I'm not sure of the origin of that name, if that's a direct, you know, an acronym that comes from a translation. It's so convenient and clever. It almost sounds like a marketing, oh, well, it'll, it'll be ISIS in English. It'll, it'll be really catchy. Yeah, catchier uh, than ISIL. Or, or Al-Qaeda, even, which is, how do you spell that? But uh, ISIS, oh, okay, a good acronym. Uh, it's shockingly close to the acronym for the Pakistani Intelligence Agency, Military Intelligence, ISI. Of course, we've dealt with them uh, and given them lots and lots of uh, money over the uh, 
past decade or so, maybe more, um, because of their uh, claims to uh, help us fight the Taliban and so forth, although they've often worked cheek by jowl with the, uh, with the Taliban. So ISIS, ISIS, ISI, Pakistani Military Intelligence, E-I-E-I-O. I'm not sure where that song is going to go, but it's... ISIL, yeah. ISIL. Well, ISIS has got a better ring than ISIL. So I'm sure that, that it was re remade at some point. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And, of course, remember that it was Richard Nixon that tilted America towards Pakistan back in the uh, 1970s. Uh, that policy, by the way, was exposed by Jack Anderson. Uh, and uh, Nixon and Hoover promptly began looking through his trash. <laughs> there were even some kind of harebrained ideas to maybe assassinate him. That's what Coulson was kind of hot for. <laughs> yeah, Coulson and Liddy. Uh, yeah, the craziness continues. Uh, by the way, over the weekend, I did hear an absolutely outstanding one-hour documentary about the 50th anniversary of the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, highly recommend if you can uh, check this out online, probably. It's by... Uh, uh, Gigi Gutaplan, who uh, writes for The Nation magazine and talking about the deception and the lies that went into the Gulf of Tonkin manipulation. And, of course, that war was perpetrated by Lyndon Johnson um, with <laughs> fake information and fake attacks. And we know what the results were in Indochina, a total disaster for the United States. For people of the region and uh, certainly tore apart the United States of America. Well, there's just about a minute left in the program. We'd like to thank Andrew for engineering tonight. And I'm going to quickly mention this uh, film just opened last week in New York City, where most films open, right? This is from the New York Times. Uh, Tom Anderson's Red Hollywood. This has been recently restored and uh, refurbished. But of course, it's not opening in New York City, although it is. It uh, premiered here in Ann Arbor. Yeah. At the uh, most recent Ann Arbor Film Festival, Tom Anderson himself in, in, in attendance for a week uh, worth of uh, retrospective of his films. Uh, this is a good sign. It means it might be available on DVD soon for those who uh, weren't able to catch it at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. But uh, who knows what goodies will be in store for us at the next film festival. But I uh, just thought I'd mention this because there's a good film noir movie on TCM tonight uh, that you should consider checking out at 9.15. It's not often shown. Uh, it's one of those films that's not afraid to show a light on the darker side of the American psyche. Something All righty. we need to do at this time. Indeed. Well, we have to cut out, so... Uh do stay tuned. Uh, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN. FM Ann Arbor. For Michigan. Well, the only hope here is WCBN-FM. If you're ever stuck in Ann Arbor, stick around with WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs>